Where do you go to find authenticity and truth? Nobody wants to talk about the skeletons in their closet, the nitty gritty, or the failures, all of which I believe are the most important parts of anybody's story of success. This is a place where we say what nobody else is saying. Truth with Tara, welcome to the fold. What's up guys and welcome to today's show. Today I want to talk to you about gatekeepers. Gatekeepers are in everything. They're in every industry. Um, I know them best in the music and entertainment industry. Growing up, uh, even by the age of three, I was subjected to gatekeepers. If you uh, want to audition for anything and get a part for anything, you audition in front of what I like to call a gatekeeper. Uh, the industry term would be casting director or director of the show, musical director, anything like that, even sometimes a voice coach um, or an actor themselves. But it's always someone placed in a position above you to judge you and deem your worthiness as to whether or not you are the person to attain what you are, a quote unquote, auditioning for. And again, this doesn't have to be in music and entertainment. This could be if you're a doctor, your gatekeeper would be residency and grades and the boards and getting into a good hospital or practice. Um, if you are a football player, that could be your teammates, even um, the other team, the coach, the school that you want to get into, the talent scout for, for pros, right? I mean, and it could be in any sports situation. There's really gatekeepers when it comes to everything, if you think about it in life. And it seems like, you know, then you're put in this sort of David and Goliath situation where you're the hero of your own story, right? We all are. And every day we are setting out to overcome said gatekeepers. But being in the music and entertainment industry myself, I've never felt it more palpable than in that scenario for me. And it does carry over into other areas of my life. But when I think about my lifetime and my relationship with gatekeepers, it's been a little unhealthy up until recent years. And let me tell you why. It was only until I started coaching other artists and hopefuls in auditions that I realized something about the psychology behind auditioner versus gatekeeper. And what I realized was that there was this deep rooted sense of unworthiness in the auditioner's mind. And there was this also false sense of superiority that the auditioner had towards the said gatekeeper. And I know this because I've actually been on both sides of the coin. I have been both auditioner and I have been on the other side of the table as the director or casting agent or vocal coach deliberating whether or not the person on the other side deserved the part. So I really have a good pulse um, on what exactly this whole animal is. And this sense of unworthiness comes from the, God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it, right? It comes from this need, this want of being validated and being validated in this industry is all about if you get the part, right? If you get it, then you've got it and you wanted it and you're good, right? And by the way, great, celebrate it quick because you're only as good as the last thing you've done too. So um, there, there is this never ending need for validation in a performer's life, in an artist's life, which is really sad. And it keeps you on your toes, which is, I guess, good, but it also kind of aerates this sense of anxiety and constant need for validation. And so 
When I began to coach and I was still performing at the time, but I also started coaching a lot and, and I saw the same look in the eyes of my sweet students, uh, that same desperate look of desire in their eyes when they came to me and they said, Tara, I'm going for Idol or Tara, I'm going for this part on Broadway or Tara, I really want on this praise team or to be in this choir that's audition only or Tara, my daughter really wants this part in the school musical. What do I do to get her what she wants? Help, help us, right? It was always this help. Who do I go to? What do I turn to? How do I make this happen for myself or for the one that I love? And as I looked into their eyes, I saw my own eyes, right? And then I would have these flashbacks of being behind the table. And I would realize in that moment, one very important thing. A lot of times, What the auditioner does not understand about the person behind the table is this. They are looking for someone to make their lives easier. They're looking for someone as a gatekeeper to say to themselves, hmm, I am going to look really good because this person's awesome and they're going to make my life easy. Because a lot of times the person who's auditioning you will also be the person who is then working with that castmate who they cast in whatever they're casting for. And so they're not thinking, oh man, this chick's great or this guy's great. I should give them a chance and take a chance on them. You know, they, they seem really good. You know, I'm going to do that. No, they're thinking, oh my gosh, I have bills to pay, a mortgage to do. I've got kids in college, a wife that hates me, <laughs> whatever it is. I need to find someone who's going to give me the maximum amount of output for my minimum amount of effort with them. And once you realize that as an auditioner, all of a sudden the tables turn and this sense of unworthiness somehow, at least in my mind, started to equal out. I saw that person behind the table as a human being and not a God. I saw that person as someone who just needed a break, just like I did, but in a different way. You know, just because you're looking for a job and someone else has one does not mean they don't have problems. It doesn't mean that they're not hemming and hawing over a certain area of their lives where they wish there was change and immediate action taken too. you know, and sometimes shoot, you might get a part because the director on the other side of the table had a really good salad for lunch that day. You know, I mean, craft services could have been off the chain and they were just in such a good mood because of that brownie after they ate after their salad. They're just like, yes, whoever, (laughs) whoever's next, you know, they sound great. I love them. Let's do it. Right. I mean, it could be something as stupid as that. I remember, I digress, but this is a funny story. Um, I was up for the lead in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. And I happened to know the casting director from an old uh, theater summer camp I did back in high school. Um, and he kept calling me back and calling me back. And I had multiple, I think I had at least five callbacks for this role. And finally it came down between me and this other girl. And, you know, look, when you're doing a Broadway audition, they pretty much get exactly what they want. So she and I look so similar. I mean, dark hair, light eyes, 5'2", similar sounding voice, similar dance skills, same body frame. I mean, there really was very little difference between us. And so by the fifth, I think, callback, I told my casting director friend, I was like, listen, man, like pick already, you know, like I'm, I'm losing out on other auditions to be here for these callbacks. Like, what is the problem? And he, he said to me, he pulled me aside. This was just him and I. And he said, Tara, look, I understand. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to waste your time. I really want you for the role, but you don't have a bump in your nose. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, the other girl has a bump in her nose and we won't have to pay for, for makeup to put a bump on your nose for eight shows a week. So, you know, like the producers want her, but I want you. And I was like, 
I mean, I definitely can't perform a bump in my nose for the next callback. I'm really sorry about that. But like if they don't want to pay for makeup for a bump in my nose and if that's literally what it's coming down to right now, I guess she wins. You know, <laughs> like I, I can't I cannot manufacture a bone growing on my nose to make it look more the part. You know, sometimes, guys, that's literally something so trivial, but that's literally what it can come down to when you audition for something like a Broadway show, when it's more the big league status, when you can take your pick and get exactly what you want, you know? So there's humanity in the gatekeepers too. And I realized that that day, and I actually realized that before that too. And so I want to let you know, as you are trying to succeed in any area of your life, I don't care if you're listening to this and you're not in the music and entertainment industry. I just, I want you to know that you're going to be up against gatekeepers all the time, but I want you to see the humanity in them. I want you to see into their lives, even if it's fictitiously and imagine the problems, imagine the turmoil. Maybe their mom just died or their dad's in the hospital or their kid's first day of school is tomorrow and they've got all this anxiety over it. They just got in a fight with their husband. Who knows, right? They are humans too. As soon as we stop glorifying and idolizing the people that are quote unquote judging us and seeing them as equals with respect, I think the better your audition is going to be, the better your performance is going to be and the, the less anxiety anxiety you're going to have. You're going to leave that audition room or leave that test or leave that field knowing like you laid it all out on the line with confidence and boldness, knowing exactly who you are. Gatekeepers are people too. And funny story too, on the flip side of gatekeepers, I, when I was one, I remember this one time I was auditioning, uh, uh, hopefuls for this, um, new Disney uh, new Disney TV show. And it was, it was called Diva Dolls. I don't think it ever even made it to TV, frankly, because they didn't listen to me, but no, I'm just kidding. I was, uh, I was the vocal coach auditioning, um, these, these singers and it was singers who danced, right? So it was a singing audition first, and then they did a monologue and acted, and then they danced. And it was my job to tell the producers and, um, and the director who I felt was the most vocally sound and who was the biggest triple threat out of them all because we were searching for the lead of the diva dolls. And I remember, man, just having such compassion over these girls that came in. And I, again, I saw the same look of that hopeful desperation in their eyes, you know, and that anticipation and that butterflies in their stomach kind of look in their faces. And, you know, girl after girl, they would sing their song. They would stand up, introduce themselves, slate it. And if you don't know what that means, slating is when you say your name, your age, you know, the, either the role you're going for or what you're about to perform, you toe the line, which usually has an X on the spot. And then you start your piece. So I just girl after girl, I remember watching these girls, um, just give it their all, you know, and I, I'm sitting there on the other side of the table and they're looking at me the same way I used to look at the people on the other side of the table when I was the auditioner. And I just, I remember thinking these sweet girls, like they have no idea that I too am, am on the other side of the table. In fact, I have an audition in two days. I'm going to be just like them, you know, but they don't really know who I am. They just know my bio quote unquote, which is made to sound very impressive. And I guess to some people it is, but I am so just a girl from Florida, you know, in my mind, I know exactly who I am not. I know who I'm not. 
and they know who I quote unquote am. And so there's this false sense, I think anyway, of being impressed that they should not have. And yet they are. And it was just so interesting to me to be sitting on the other side. And I also felt this pull to be entitled to be important. I felt this pull as I'm sitting there of, I'm a big deal on this side of the table. Like, yeah, like they've got to get through me. Wow. I'm a big deal. <laughs> this sense of pride wanted to come over me and I, I, I felt it and I found it. And I was like, absolutely not. Tara, you are not a big deal. Um, people can say that all they want, but you know who you are and you know that the only big deal is the Lord in the first place. And, and you, you are just this little speck on the earth that can sing really well. So like get yourself in check right now and start listening to these singers. But it was really interesting how just sitting in that seat of power could be easily intoxicating. I can see how some gatekeepers can let it go to their head. And if you're a gatekeeper and you're listening to this, I want to say shame on you. It's time to humble yourself. It's time to put yourself back on a level playing field with those in front of you and realize that to be behind the table, you once were on the opposite side yourself. Um, because they're there is a lack, I think, of humility in a lot of leaders, and it's something that I absolutely detest. But it's also something I know is very tempting and easy to fall into. And again, just sitting in that seat, I was like, hmm, I like this. You know, this is a better side of the table. I could get used to this. But as I sloughed that feeling off and I, and I began to watch these girls um, one after the other, I realized just how special each one of them were. But I also realized the task at hand and I knew that I had to narrow down. And so as I'm narrowing down, I realized, too, the it factor that's on the other side of the table has a lot to do with what I told you before. With that person on the other side treating me as if I were respectfully an equal and not a god. The girls that looked at me and were super nervous and like antsy and wiggly and just didn't know what to do with themselves, maybe they were really talented, but they were way too impressed by it all. There was something that happened. There was something that happened about their performance that just wasn't it for me. And and I had to, I had to move on. But there was this one girl named Lauren Lott <laughs> who came into that audition that day and she came up with this most innocent, beautiful sense of anticipation. And yet I still felt like she saw me as her respectful equal, as her peer and not as an idol or a god sitting on the other side of the table, this unattainable thing, this gatekeeper. She didn't see me as a gatekeeper necessarily. It, it was a different look in her eye. And she sang with boldness and with confidence and knowing exactly who she was. And I absolutely fell in love with this girl. And I said to myself, this girl's a star. This girl is going to do Broadway and I'm going to get her there. And I told the casting director, this is your girl. This is the lead. She was also amazing at dancing. I mean, it was a slam dunk. If you were blind, deaf and dumb, you still would have chosen Lauren Lott for the lead role in this new show. Uh, it, it, I mean, her dream was to be a Disney princess for crying out loud. I mean, this is a Disney show. It was all the stars were aligning. They didn't take her. And if I'm going to be bold and honest, they didn't take her because they said that she was too dark skinned. Lauren's African-American, beautiful, drop dead, gorgeous girl. And they didn't take her because they wanted someone with lighter skin. I said, you're making a big mistake. And I took her resume and, and smuggled it in my purse. And I called her mom later that day. And I personally said, hey, um, 
I recommended your daughter for the lead. I didn't tell her why they didn't take her because that's just mean. But I said she she was not chosen. Unfortunately, they did not take my advisement. But I want to coach your daughter. I'm a vocal coach and your daughter's good, but I can make her great. And if she's not on Broadway in five years or less, I'll give you all of your money back for all of the lessons that you've ever paid me. I'm that sure. And a week later, Lauren and I were training four and a half years later. I was watching my Lauren debut on her first Broadway leading role. Thank God, because I would owe her a lot of money back. <laughs> but that is what the difference in how you see gatekeepers gets you. And I, I just want to I want to hammer this point home with that illustration because it's an attitude and, and, and it's a persona about you, but, it, but you can't have that unless you see that person in that certain light, okay? It's all about your perception first. Your perception equals your attitude about your situation, right? It's, it's, a, it's a catalyst, right? The perception is a catalyst for how you then act. And how you act is, a direct, is directly affecting how that person on the other side of the table thinks of you, sees you, hears you, and interprets your audition. It's what makes them think of you and you stick with them after it's all said and done. I remembered Lauren. There were hundreds of girls. I remembered Lauren out of them all because she had that thing. And that thing had a lot to do with how she saw me and how she saw all those people at that table. And I remember then uh, before that in my career auditioning for Broadway, before the the nose story, <laughs> before the bump in the nose story, I remember um, being at an audition for Fame, and I was uh, I was nineteen. I was only in New York for a year. I took a year off to audition for Broadway, and um, the line for this Broadway show, which was going to be touring in Europe, was literally literally wrapped around the entire block at Ripley Greer Studios in New York City. And wow, I mean, I remember being like, uh, should I just go home? Like, the, the, I'm ne- I've, there's like three other auditions today. I'm going to miss them all. I was not equity, so I had to wait in the long line. And um, and I sat there in that line. No joke. I got there at seven in the morning. I didn't get seen until 8 p.m. that night. It was crazy. And, you know, in Broadway auditions, you get certain measures. So like they started off with 32 allotted measures that you could sing before they cut you off. And I had that cut in my in my rep book ready to sing. And um, and as the line grew and and didn't move and move just slowly like a snail, they would come into the room and into the line and say, OK, it's down to 24 measures. OK, down to 16. OK, down to 12. OK, down to eight. By the time I got to sing at eight o'clock at night, I think they were literally down to like eight, six measures, something ridiculous. Like pretty much I could sing the word the, okay. (laughs) I was, I was so mad and so indignant about missing all of the other awesome auditions that day and sitting in that line that when I finally got into the room, something amazing happened. I was so tired and so annoyed and so indignant about the whole wait, the long wait and how I had no time to sing. I thought to myself, you know what, Tara, forget this nonsense. 
You have waited 13 hours to sing eight measures. You are going to sing your ever loving booty off. You're going to sing as many measures as you want because I'm sorry, but nobody on earth waits for that long to sing the word the for four measures. So you just go in there and you sing for you, girlfriend. Like you sing because you're closing out your day and you're going to go home and treat yourself to a really good dinner after this. Like who even cares about fame and about Europe anyway at this point? After 13 hours in a line, I know I didn't. I walked into that room and for the first time, actually, I've been auditioning for about, uh, seriously for a few months, but for a whole year during school uh, before then. And for the first time when I was auditioning, I walked into that room and I did not see those people as greater than me, as someone who would eclipse me or something that is intimidating or something that I need to bow to. I saw them as people who were tired at the end of their day and probably didn't care what I sang or how I sang. They just wanted to leave and go home to their families and eat a dinner too. I opened up my mouth to sing and I wailed that song with everything I had in me. And I didn't, I was so mad. I didn't even wait like to see their response. I literally sang my last note and then I just turned around and started walking away. (laughs) And the casting director was like, wait, wait. And, and I turned around like surprised because usually they just say thank you and you walk out of the room and you basically never hear anything again unless you get the part, which I never did. So I would think that's it. And they're like, wait, wait, um, can you come back for the callback? And two things happened to me. One, I was so shocked that I was actually being called back and this was actually happening And I was so tired, I could hardly even comprehend. I'm like, am I dreaming this? Now I'm hallucinating. I'm starving, I'm tired, and I'm hallucinating. Great. But then something inside of me rose up, and I was also angry at that question (laughs) because I had waited so long, and and they had the nerve (laughs) in my mind to ask me to come back again for another another callback, and I was going to like miss out on more other auditions. And so... I looked at them. I'm like, when is the callback? And they were like, oh, it's tomorrow. And they gave me the time. I don't remember the time they said, but they gave me the time. And I said, no, I, I'm not going to come back tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever you'd like me to do right now. What would you like me to do? <laughs> you guys, you don't say this in Broadway editions. If I look back, I, I can't believe I said what I said. Like, don't, don't do that. Okay. Don't take my advice. That's bad advice right now. I don't recommend it. This is like a fluke. Okay. It, it is what happened, but I wouldn't recommend it. So I said, no, um, what, whatever you want me to learn and do, I'll do right now. And I remember the, uh, the choreographer was in there too. She was married to the director and she looked at me, she cocked her head to the side and kind of like raised her eyebrows and smirked like out of the corner of her mouth. Like, okay, like you've got some sass. And so without saying a word, she grabbed, uh, grabbed this music from the desk and, and put it in her hand and straightened her arm out towards me. And it was like, come get this. And I said, okay. So I went and I grabbed it and it was an entire song that I had never heard. And it was from the show. It was called, um, let's play a love scene. Never heard of this song before in my life. I said, so then I'm regretting it really big time. Okay. And I'm thinking you big mouth idiot, Tara, you should have said, yes, I would love to come back tomorrow, whatever you would like, but no, now I have to do whatever they want immediately. And I, and of course, my pride, instead of saying, you know what? I'm happy to come back tomorrow. I'm sorry. It's just been a long day. I said, I'll be back in five minutes to which they all looked at themselves with their eyebrows raised and then looked at me like, 
okay, we're going to call you on that bluff. They didn't say that, but that was like the vibe in the room. So I walked out of that room and I'm thinking, what did you just do? You are such a nincompoop. Like you're, you're going to lose the first chance you get at something amazing because you're such an income. You're like so prideful. Like you had to say that it just came out. I couldn't help it. I don't know why I could not help myself. I, I see this girl with blonde hair in a corner with headphones on. And I asked her, I don't know what came over me or what made me ask her this when I got out of the room, but I said, what are you listening to? She's like, oh, I'm listening to the score of the show. Cause a lot of people would do that. You know, they'd prep for it. And I said, listen, would you mind if I borrowed your headphones for literally like two minutes? And she's like, sure. So I got to the song. I listened to it like twice, right? Or the main parts twice. I gave her back her headphones. I went to find a piano in one of the practice rooms. I had the sheet music that the choreographer had given me. I go into the piano and thank God I, I knew enough piano. I, I plunked out, you know, the treble clef, the, the, the melody of what I would be singing. I did this for, like I said, five minutes, looked at the lyrics it was luckily a pretty easy song to learn. It was decently long, but like it, it was, it was lyrically more challenging than melodically. The, the melody was a ballad and I, I learned music really fast. So, so I ran through it a couple times and I told the, um, the hall monitor, I said, Hey, they want me to come back in and sing this song. And he's like, okay, they're, they're talking amongst themselves right now. You've got about five more minutes. So I used that time to practice some more and he came in to get me and he's like, they're ready for you. <laughs> So I walked in and they're looking at me and one of the guys had his arms crossed at this point. He was like, okay, we're about to make a fool out of this girl who thinks she can learn a song in five, 10 minutes. And, uh, the pianist already had the music and I had the music in front of me. And I don't know why my cocky self at the time did this, but instead of looking at the sheet music, I looked at them and I, I opened my hand and I let the music fall to the floor. (laughs) And they looked at the music and at the floor and they looked at me and I looked at the pianist. I said, okay, I'm ready. And the pianist started playing and I kid you not, I don't know how, but I sang that whole song lyrics and all, all the way through. And they looked at me and they looked at each other and they were like, thank you very much. (laughs) And that was it. And I walked out of the room and I could, I'm like, seriously, I just did something I was even impressed by. I can't believe I just did that. Like uh, I'm in, I'm in amazement. And that was a really stupid choice, Terry. Like you're really lucky you were able to pull that off. And now after all that, that's all you get is a thank you. So I walked out of there and I said to myself, listen, learn some valuable lessons today. And, um, you, you have some serious soul searching to do when it comes to waiting in a long line, (laughs) but I was really proud of myself for seeing that through. So I get a call that night from the choreographer that gave me the music. And she said, listen, I am rooting for you. I think you're perfect for this part. And I really want you to have it. So I'm going to have you come to the callback in two days. Can you come? And I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, I can come. (laughs) And she said, okay. She gave me some tips on what she wanted to see me wear to kind of look like the part. And she kind of gave me some tips on what to expect, what shoes to wear. She was helpful. She gave me some insider information that I may not have have gotten otherwise, Uh, because that's not something that's done for those of you guys who are listening and are not familiar with the Broadway process. They do not take the time to call you and help you out like that, just so you know. So I showed up to the dance audition, and this is hilarious, but guess who was there? The girl with the headphones and the blonde hair. 
And it ended up being between the girl with the blonde hair, me, and one other girl when it came down to it. We did the dance audition. I wore what I was supposed to, shoes and all. And lo and behold, I ended up getting the part. And the girl with the blonde hair, she she walked out. And we didn't know who got the part yet, but she kind of knew I did. And she walked out and she said, I knew I shouldn't have given you those headphones. <laughs> and I said, oh, you don't know that yet. And she goes, yes, I do. And she walked away and I was like, oh, well, I forgot about it. You know, they take some time to make the decisions. And a couple weeks went by and I was just moving on with my life. And lo and behold, um, a couple weeks later, I get a call um, in the middle of uh, me working and it was the producer of the show and he offered me the part. And I literally, I had to just like, silently scream. I was, I was just so happy and elated, but I, the big takeaway for that for me guys is the way that I viewed the gatekeepers. It really was a game changer for me. It showed me something very intrinsic about the human psychology of how we, how we perceive others and how much that dictates our success in life. So I encourage you today as you move through your life and as you're, as you're reaching, um, from goal to goal and glory to glory, and you're going for the, for the everything in your life, you're shooting for the stars, you know, what kind of mentality do you have towards gatekeepers? Who do you see as equal to you? And, and do you always find yourself looking inward as if you're less worthy? Do you see yourself as someone who needs the approval of others and who is unworthy or, or doesn't matter without it? Or are you secure in who you are enough to look at someone, recognize them for their accomplishments and their successes, but also then still say to yourself, and yet I am also equal and worthy. And mine happened to come from anger and frustration first. I don't really care where you get it from first, but just make sure you keep it in check once you figure out the feeling. But once you have that, I think that's really the holy grail to a person's success is just not being starstruck by someone else's. And once you get that you're a big deal on your own, all of a sudden something magical happens. Other people see you as a big deal too. That's it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed my little podcast on gatekeepers. There's many more to come, so stay tuned. Make sure today, guys, that you spread faith, not fear, love, not germs, be a blessing in a stranger's life, because that is how we change the world. If you haven't done so already, check me out on YouTube. We're knocking at a million subscribers. And if you're watching this uh, years down the road, we're probably way past that by now. So join the Terabytes on YouTube. Join the family. Click subscribe and the notifications button. We've got all sorts of things to help you on your vocal journey as well. If you're a singer looking for lessons, go to TaraSimonStudios.com. We also have an eight-week singing course called Sing Smarter, Not Harder, as well as an advanced four week course called Riffs and Runs. All of that information can also be found on TaraSimonStudios.com. And um, if you're on YouTube, make sure you give me a shout out, send a comment. Also like us on Instagram and Facebook as well. You can search Tara Simon Studios on those platforms to find us there. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. Until next time. Yeah, I know that you don't gotta look far to get to my bleeding heart.